CRM has been proven to limit sales reps' responsiveness, persistency, and cadence. It's a design flaw, and it's losing you deals. That is why today's sales leaders use sales engagement platforms like VanillaSoft. Check it out. Go to VanillaSoft.com and start your free trial. August 23rd, 2019, San Francisco. The Sales Development Conference. The third annual conference focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. Join over 500 of the most influential sales development leaders in our industry for a full day of learning, networking, and growing your skills. This year, we're offering three learning tracks focused on sales development leadership, rep training, and our newest track dedicated to sales and marketing operations. Grab your tickets today before it sells out over at tenbound.com conference. That's tenbound.com conference. See you August 23rd. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have a guest on the show who I was just talking to before the show. I am extremely grateful to in a sense of supporting the sales development industry and helping move it forward and you know, being a real resource and teaming up with us here at TenBound as well to help improve sales development programs. Mr. Travis Henry, leading the sales development practice at SalesSource. How are you doing today, sir? David, I'm doing fantastic. That was quite the intro, and I think uh, very generous of you as well. Thank you for hosting this podcast and dedicating so much time, effort, and energy to sales development because it definitely deserves it. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, there's so much focus on it right now and you know, so many bright people and all these technologies and yet there seems to be not a great deal of information out there for people who are trying to push it forward. It creates an opportunity for companies like ours <laughs> to, to help people. And, and we're definitely available to help people. But, you know, I've just been in awe of what you guys have been doing over at SalesSource to help the sales development community. And, you know, if people aren't familiar with, with yourself and what you're doing over at SalesSource, give us a little background. Yeah, absolutely. So. SalesSource is a strategic advisory firm focused primarily on account-based sales development programs. So that's the people, the process, the technology that go into successful SDR programs. And then also we have a specialty in the emerging and growing field of revenue operations. So actually the, the sales ops, the marketing ops that commonly partner with and underpin a successful SDR program. So I think like you mentioned, it's a tough program to stand up. It's a tough function to get right, especially for when you think of early stage founders or first time sales leaders growing companies from A to B to C and beyond to an IPO or an exit. Oftentimes they're figuring out how to do sales development right. And I'll tell you from from our experience, it's tough to do it right the first time. And Typically, you trip and you fall and you iterate and and you'll get there. But what we find more and more is that our clients, the companies we work with, when they're thinking about growing revenue and specifically growing pipeline, it's less and less about the money associated with that program. It's more about the time and how quickly can we stand up a pipeline generating operation and not trip and fall through the same mistakes that everyone else has made. And I think that's why. SalesSource has a business, certainly why 10Bound has a business, because we've 
tripped, stumbled, and falled ourselves before. We have the scars to prove it, and I'm sure you can attest to that, David. And in our past lives, we figured these things out, and you learn the best practices, and you learn the playbooks that work, and that's that's the big value add we have for companies and why I love my job going into companies and helping them figure out sales development for the first time, or maybe this is their second or third time taking a crack at it. It's a really exciting field and you guys are leading the way. So if you, if you haven't checked out Salesforce, I mean, just go check out the website, read up some of the case studies that they've been doing. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, it's interesting because I think the thought process is kind of if you think of people, processes, and technology as you're setting up a sales development program, people go straight to the technology. And I, I look at the technology like it's easy to join a gym. Like <laughs> you can join a gym, you get the subscription, and you're like, I'm good. I'm I'm gonna have six pack abs, you know, <laughs> in the next three months. <laughs> but the technology yep. and buying a technology subscription is great. You have to have that, you know, to compete. But you know, it's the processes and especially the people that I think is a struggle. And so you guys are doing strategy and now you're helping with that revenue operations part to figure out how all those things fit together as well. Right. And I think my own lack of six pack abs <laughs> totally affirms your point that buying <laughs> buying a gym subscription is a necessary but not sufficient means to getting a world-class body. But I think you hit the nail on the head for right? This emerging landscape of technology, it's never been more exciting to be in sales development in large part because of the capabilities that software providers are bringing to the table to really amplify the abilities of a sales development program. But like you mentioned, that's that's the phase 2.0. That's the outcome and that's the amplification of a good program. So one of the pieces that has stood out to me and continues to stand out is when you think about revenue operations now and why that's even a thing, right? We had sales operations, we had marketing operations. You're finding that companies are realizing that alignment above all else is critical. And this isn't just an SDR thing. This is a sales thing, customer success thing, a marketing thing. And the rise of revenue operations is a testament to the fact that these teams realize they can no longer work in silos, right? And thinking about it back on my own experience, so I started out of school going into sales without really a, a sales bone in my body. I was planning to go to law school my whole life and decided, hey, maybe being an attorney is not for me. And I went out searching for, you know, what's a job I can do? And I think a, a lot of uh, SDRs find themselves in these in the same position. And I ended up working for Oracle, so Big Red. And I went through what I like to call the Marines of Sales and went through their training program. I made you know, 80 cold calls a day and I learned how to sell, but I didn't necessarily learn the bigger picture of sales development. And I didn't learn that until I found myself at Blue Wolf, who's a, a services company, but they're focused on the salesforce.com ecosystem. Literally my first day on the job, I remember this, I had come in to join uh, the marketing team to support sales efforts, but part of that mandate was owning lead routing and event follow-up and a lot of those core functions you think of when you think about inbound SDRs. And I remember the first day 
on the job, I was pulled in. I didn't even know where the bathroom was yet. And I was pulled into the office with the head of sales ops and one of our senior sales leaders. And they said, okay, we have Dreamforce coming up this week. You're responsible for understanding all of our lead follow-up and process. Let's map this out. And so I was like, all right, it's game time. I'm stepping into this type of a role for the first time. Super Bowl. yeah, the super, and this is the Super Bowl, right? And Blue Wolf is one of the top sponsors. So we're talking 10,000 plus leads that we're, we're going to be following up Jesus. with. And I just had to figure it out at that point in time. And cutting to the chase on that story, we did okay with lead follow up. We, you know, booked some meetings. We had some success. We generated some pipeline, but it was an early lesson for me. And oh my God, marketing sitting here pouring who knows how much money into a field marketing event that they're looking to get a return on sales is hoping and betting that this is their opportunity to either close existing customers, expand their accounts, find net new prospects. And there's a huge alignment piece that has to happen between marketing and sales for these type of investments to be successful. And that was my first exposure to, wow, sales development really is key to satisfying both groups. And this is really an orchestrated revenue machine. It's not sales and marketing. And what I went on to do at Blue Wolf is actually build out the specialized inbound versus outbound sales development model. But I also realized that to take advantage of that volume of leads and that demand gen machine that was spinning up that Blue Wolf had going, it wasn't even just about the putting a sales development function in place. It was actually taking a step back and saying, how do we align around a, a vision of our ideal customer profile, right? Who is our buyer and how do we start to separate wheat from chaff in an event like Dreamforce? Because wouldn't you know it, you have tens of thousands of people, but they have a million different agendas. They have different needs and wants. And most of those people are probably irrelevant to your business. So that was that was one of the first big lessons for me was the key role that marketing actually plays in a successful sales development operation. And at Blue Wolf, I actually reported into marketing. And I know there's a, a big debate still going on with where sales development should report into, but that was that was a big lesson in how important marketing is. Well, that's interesting because I, I agree. So if you think about how important alignment is, across these silos that exist still today. And I think back to when Lars Nielsen, the founder, co-founder of Salesforce, who I'm sure that you talk to every day, he wrote this seminal yep. work, you know, was the blog post about his work that he was doing at Cloudera with the account-based sales development and how he put that together. And that just became this this seminal work, you know, that's still out there. And when I hear that, I think of that alignment and is there a key? Is there like a a key motion or a key piece of the puzzle that we can put in to gain better alignment across marketing, sales development, and sales? You know, there's yep. no silver bullet, but like, where do we even start to to get these things aligned? Yeah. So my quick hit answer to that, which might be a little bit contentious, and that's okay, is that marketing works for sales. And I've talked to people who entirely bristle at that. And I've talked to people who I've never seen heads nod uh, more affirmatively in my life. But starting from a place 
at least conceptually of saying, right, sales is close to our customers. They understand our buyer. They're in front of these folks every day. They're in their offices. Let's align around the accounts and the buyers that sales is close to and start to build our universe, what we call a a target addressable market of those accounts that we know are great fits for us. And certainly marketing needs to be at the table, but just beginning with that mantra and that philosophy from whether that's your executive level or just your revenue leadership level, that takes you so far. And above and beyond that, it's actually how you measure marketing, right? So I've talked to many marketers who they see their journey as ending at the MQL. And for folks listening who might not be familiar, just learning about this, that's, hey, we've generated leads that meet certain criteria and we're going to pass them over to our sales team. If we do that to a certain threshold, oh, wow, we've, we've done our job and it's on sales from here. I've seen tremendous change in not only behavior, but the actual alignment when you put a qualified pipeline number on marketing, right? When marketing is quoted, that was like my former CMO said, the CRO has a number and I have a number. And she was talking in dollars, right? Not number of leads. And, and leads are important, but actually putting a, a quota around your marketing team and setting expectations is a it's a huge step forward and it entirely reframes the conversation from I did my job, I'm gonna cross my arms, now you pick up the rest of the Slack sales. So that that's a huge piece. And finally I would say actually putting a sales development team in place, it, that's the coolest thing about sales development, right? You sit between these functions. It's no matter where you report into you're bringing sales and you're bringing marketing together and you're the tip of the spear in driving the outcomes for both of those teams. So actually investing in and taking seriously a a sales development program will take you very, very far in terms of sales and marketing alignment. And creating that alignment. I I, I completely agree. And one of the most interesting things, and it comes up, you mentioned it before, I think the recent study by the Bridge Group or one of those companies said that over 70% of sales development programs report to sales. And that this has always mm-hmm. boggled my mind because if you think about alignment and the, the like that example that you give, that you put a qualified pipeline number on the marketing the head of marketing's quota and they have to they have to commit to quality pipeline and for me it always makes perfect sense that the sales development team is rolled up into marketing because they're they're in charge of pipeline as well yeah yeah absolutely and not only from a metric standpoint but thinking about sales development today in 2019 and looking forward phone calls are getting answered less and less right? It takes more and more emails sent out, more and more touch points to even get a response from a prospect you're trying to talk to. Social is massive, but still it's it's not necessarily a direct channel and you need to establish some level of connection. All of that to say, the SDR's job is getting harder. And there's only so many channels that sales development has access to, to go out and drive qualified pipeline or drive appointments, right? And that's, it's only becoming more difficult, which 
in my mind, increases the role and the prominence of good marketing, right? Think about making touches count. It's all about giving away good content. It's about being inspirational, speaking to the problems, the fears, the hopes of your prospects in a super compelling way. And nobody does that better than your marketing organization, your product marketing, your brand team. So thinking about the fuel behind the fire of sales development, it's increasingly dependent on good marketing, which is why if we get in a room with a, a first-time founder or someone who's just hiring their first few AEs, maybe an SDR or two, they say, you know, where should we start? And it's, yes, hire those functions, but at the same time, go out and find a cracking performance marketer, content marketer who can start to, you know, put together these inspirational infographics and customer testimonials and proof points to amplify your, your sales development efforts and, and to actually make them work. Totally. Yeah. And the other piece here is, if you think about account-based, which is only getting bigger and more profitable for companies to run, saying, you know, we'll carve out really good fit accounts and we'll build specialized programs. We will target them with particular ads. We'll customize our content to those accounts. You, you need marketing's alignment in doing that. Otherwise, you're going to fall flat on your face, right? So if you're serving up catered advertisements, you're in the LinkedIn feeds with paid placements for all of the personas in, let's say, Acne Corporation, your marketing team is is warming that account up in a way that humans simply can't do, right? We can't force advertisements into people's feeds unless they accept our LinkedIn request or otherwise opt in. So the the approach and I guess softening the beachhead for sales development is it's a bigger and bigger role for marketing, especially when you think about those account-based motions. Are you in sales, but you're not using a sales engagement tool? Then you're probably losing out on revenue because you are not engaging with prospects at the right time, with the right cadence, and with enough persistency. You need VanillaSoft. Start your free trial today. Go to VanillaSoft.com. I completely agree. And you know, the sales team is thinking about, you know, like doing demos and closing deals and, you know, the end of the week and the the end of the day. I mean, they're very like microscopically focused on what can I do today to bring in the money so that I can hit my month, you know, and it's it's almost like, you know, taking something and making it into a closed sale. It's taking it. So if you think about it, why would you why would you align the sales development program to that when everything that they're doing is dependent on what's up the funnel from there? You know, including a lot of the things that you talked about, the the quality content, the brand building, the case studies, the you know, the field marketing. You know, you gave the example of going to Dreamforce. Like how does how does the team and then the main pushback that you get from more established companies is hey, this is a sales position. Like with the people that are getting into sales development want to become AEs. Why would you have them reporting to marketing? That doesn't make any sense. And then yeah. now 70% of sales development pr- programs report to sales. Yeah. And, you know, it. I think that the clearest direction to give, and I know a lot of people think this way too, is sales development ultimately belongs in the group 
the part of the business that can give it the support that it needs. Because at the end of the day, we are talking about younger, earlier in their career folks who need, frankly, more time, attention, and care than your seasoned enterprise seller, right? And they need the ongoing coaching. They need the hand-holding, the training to be proficient and to perform well. And if that's in marketing, fantastic. If it's in sales, that's okay as well. But I even think the nature of the sales development career path is changing also, right? So for the past five to seven years, it's been clear that we're going to take in our SDRs and put them in a, a clear career path forward of moving into our, let's say our mid-market AE team, and then maybe up to selling bigger deals or moving up that sales trajectory. And my experience has been, that's that's changing, right? You'll find that people dip their toes into the water of sales development and they go, you know what, sales is it's not for me because it's certainly not for everybody. But if you hired right and you screened right and you trained correctly, you have a crop of very smart people who are capable that are closer to your customers than anybody else, right? They have talked with prospects more than you could believe and they understand your market very intimately. And what I'm seeing more and more is putting those people into customer success or marketing operations or anywhere else in your company that there's a fit, that's more and more the norm from my experience. And I'll, I'll give you an example at Blue Wolf, there'd be times where a promotion cycle came up, right? And I'm, I'm sure everyone who has SDRs has ran into this. Oh God, I put a timeline in front of them that was nine to 12 months. And if you perform, there's a next step waiting for you. And lo and behold, none of your sales teams have an open rec right at that point in time. And then it's, oh crap, I don't have a path forward for this person. Something we did at Blue Wolf was we were a services firm. So we had consultants focused on salesforce.com and that org happened to be growing. So several of my sales development reps actually went on to become business analysts in our consulting practice. And I know today they're still kicking ass and they're main people within the company delivering for clients. And that career path that's shifting, I think, has also affected uh, where you want to think about putting your sales development team in your org and made that even a little bit more fluid. That's true. That's that's actually a really good point. I mean, it's it becomes even more important to recruit effectively <laughs> when you're putting your sales development team together, because if you follow that that logic, then you're really creating the next generation of people at your company. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great opportunity. Yeah. It's certainly a cliche to say, what if we train up our people and invest with in them and they leave? And then, oh, what about if they if they stay and we never train them at all, right? <laughs> That's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that <laughs> yeah. Before. It's totally true. When you think of your sales development team going out to Right, someone with relevant sales experience that you want to fill into an AE role. Got to go out to the market. You've got to spend recruiting time, effort, energy, getting their attention, moving them through the cycle. You onboard them, you ramp them, and today we're seeing that productivity ramp for AEs is right. That's a bigger and bigger focus of companies now. It's it's so important to the economics of that of that AE and the economics of your sales team as a whole. 
and it takes time. So now you're seeing the explosion, I think, over the last couple of years of the sales enablement function and trying to reduce time to ramp for your new reps. Isn't it fantastic to see you have somebody who already understands your buyer, your market, and promoting them into those roles from your sales development team? And even if it's not an AE, you can fill those other needs within your company as well. So it's a big, big opportunity to hire right, train right, and retain those sales development folks, which I know today. They get pushed all the time. It's your bench, your bench strength. (laughs) You're building your bench strength and getting that recruitment right is huge. Now, you know, another thing, I know that we're in wild agreement that, you know, people should, if you haven't thought about aligning your SDRs with marketing, that maybe this is a wake-up call. You'd be one of the 30%. But what about data? You know, if you think about like account-based sales development, there's so much data that that it goes into refining the accounts and, and finding the ideal customer profiles. And then you've got lead scoring and how it fits into revenue ops. So, you know, how, how do you think data fits into the evolution, if you will, of the sales development role? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, David. And I think the first point there is that data is only proliferating, not only data about your customers, your prospects, your interactions with them, but all of the internal data that you have access to. So today, when you think about managing a sales development team, you can look at reply rates, you can look at open rates, click-through rates, you can manage, you can look at your most successful cadences or sequences in a sales engagement platform, and you can slice that data 30 different ways. And oftentimes what I see as a big mistake is just diving into the data around the sales development team and looking at all of the noise before you truly understand what I call the do or die metrics of your team. So I think the data proliferation has distracted folks from understanding, you know, how many prospects have we touched or if it's account based how many accounts have we touched within those accounts how many meetings have we booked or how many engaged prospects do we have how many opportunities came out of that and how many closed one deals resulted and you'd be shocked or or maybe not because you're working with companies all the time as well be shocked that uh, a lot of times that's not those aren't the top uh, metrics on somebody's mind and they're distracted with data overload and they've actually lost the ability to manage and efficiently run their teams. Now that's not to say that data hasn't opened up at a brand new opportunity and ability to understand accounts, but first and foremost, you got to do the fundamentals and you got to make sure you're tight on the core metrics of your sales development program, or you risk building in the entirely wrong direction and you can't predict you know, your commitments to sales, you can't predict your hiring needs. You need to understand the pulse of your business first. This is really good. And if I could just jump in, like if I think about you've got inbound and outbound, and we'll just say like in the, in this scenario, there there's two different, you know, departments that are separated. So you've got inbound and outbound. Off the top of your head, what are what are like the two or three key I like what you said, the do or die metrics 
the fundamentals for inbound, you know, from a sales development perspective, like touches or conversion or stuff like that? Like, are there two or three things that you can think of on the inbound side? Yeah, definitely. So your do or die metrics for an inbound sales development team, number one is speed to lead. So it's like beating a dead horse at this point, but it's a massive indicator of conversion and response to actually get to a lead in under five minutes and follow up with leads quickly. So that's number one. Number two is actually qualification conversion. So if you think about inbound, the big trick to getting inbound right is screening very, very hard against those leads if they don't fall into your target addressable market. So you can't necessarily control who's coming to your doorstep and and knocking on it, asking for a demo. And that's an investment of time and resources for your business, your sales team. And by that person coming to your to your doorstep, effectively you've earned the right to ask them some tougher questions and to qualify them to a deeper level. So keeping a tight bead on conversion and how many leads make it through that screening process is, is another key indicator. And then the final metric I would look at, and it's the same for outbound, is how much qualified pipeline results, right? How effective are our inbound channels at contributing to pipeline? And there's a whole conversation around how you actually attribute, you know, the source or who drove a deal, any given deal or any given pipeline dollar. But setting that aside, you want to look at your, your overall contribution to the pipe. Got it. So qualified pipeline by channel. So are the field events creating more pipeline than the search engine optimization, Google ads, or you know other channels? So it's like we want to be able to place our bets on the one that's going to get us the most pipeline. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So we got speed to lead and then the the how the qualification converts based on the deeper screening that you have and then the the channel. What about outbound? I'm just thinking, you know, they're they have to do a lot of activities every day. And it's like yeah. what are there are there two or three things that you could think of at the top of your head that, that would be the do or die metrics for outbound? Yes. So Thinking, and I'll answer that from an account-based perspective. So thinking about number of meetings per account, that's what I would look at. So in an account-based approach, you have a finite number of accounts out there. Let's say you assign 100 to a particular SDR to go outbound. You want to measure and keep a beat on the ratio of the number of appointments you have set within that universe of accounts. Uh, and that's critical because when you're taking an account-based strategy, you actually have pre-qualified, in my mind, those accounts that you're reaching out to. So meetings and appointments within those, that's your critical metric. Again, qualified pipeline that results from those, from those efforts is key. But you also, in an account-based world, you want to look at how much qualified pipeline am I driving per account? So again, turning that into a ratio around basically your saturation, your coverage of that target addressable market. And then finally, a key one is how many touches and how much effort does it take to get a meeting? So you want to be able to 
calculate that so you can back into your expectations for your SDR team. And I'm very much against managing directly to activity numbers or X number of calls per day, but directionally you want to set expectations with your team and how much we need to load the hopper to get into the amount of number of accounts we need to get into. Got it. So, so you can say, you can go to them and say, you know, based on our research, you know, we, we know that it takes, you know, 52 calls per day and, you know, 27 customized emails to set one appointment. That's our research, but I'm not going to go around and like knock you on the head if you've only made 51 calls. Like this is a, yeah. you said the word directional. So you're, you're like, you're a grown up. You know, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wrap you on the knuckles for for this, but this is what we found through our data. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And Got it. that's a bigger it's a bigger point of managing to outcomes with your sales development team. So whatever that outcome is for your business, typically it's qualified pipeline and or bookings. You wanna manage to those outcomes that the team's contributing to. And it's only when, in my mind, a person falls short of those outcomes that, oh, by the way, we have all of this data about your activity, your effort, your input, and we can have a conversation about, are you doing the right motions and calisthenics to achieve those outcomes? Because if we pull, pull up that report and you're not, then lo and behold, guess where our first intervention point is? It's in your, your effort and output and activity levels. So, so that's that's how I approach it. I like that intervention effort. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds way better than <laughs> knocking somebody on the head with a clipboard. Okay. So <laughs> let me, before we go off that, I got a couple more questions for you, but before we go off that, yeah. conversations. It seems like It seems like conversations, whether they be over the phone or if you get a couple of responses to your email, I'll call that a conversation, you know, a digital conversation. Yeah. But those feel like a key, you know, do or die metric, because the more people that you talk to or interact with, the more that's going to lead to potentially an appointment. Where I struggle is how do you track a conversation? Because, you know, unless you're recording it and that somehow gets into Salesforce, you're asking people to check a box that says, I had a conversation, but maybe they'll just check the box all day and then they'll take off. Like how, is there any way to really get a good recording of that conversation? That's a, that's a tough one, right? I think it was at, it was at your sales development conference last year that someone on stage made the point of, you know, reply rates are, are BS because I could go out there and say politically incorrect things or defamities or uh, what have you. <laughs> yes. I could get replies all day long. Are those the replies I want? More than likely, no, they're not. So what's, <laughs> what's, uh, how do we differentiate quality conversations or meet, let's call them meaningful conversations from just any old reply response? My favorite is the all caps unsubscribe. That, that one's great. <laughs> <laughs> Take me off it's, your list. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, it's tough. An easy one to implement, just tactically speaking, if you're just starting out with this, is length. And this is for phone calls. But if you have uh, sales engagement or phone tracking software, just the length of the conversation can be a good indicator, right? So if they're going over a minute and a half or two minutes, it could have been a bad conversation or something that was irrelevant, but that can at least tell you there's something substantial there. 
for email, it's a little bit trickier. And maybe this is something that I think the sales engagement platforms could put into their product, but understanding sentiment of replies and actually analyzing the language in emails and feeding that back as either you know positive, neutral, or negative is certainly an area that I think would be really helpful. Once you're more advanced around phone calls, there's a whole number of great providers today that actually will analyze your phone calls. So you think about your choruses and your gongs and your exec visions. These software providers can actually listen to your calls tell you when objections are coming up, whether it's positive or negative, and all of the above. My big caution there is, like we started the call with you saying, David, we can go out and buy all the shiny stuff, and boy, does that feel good, and the technology is good, but it's really not effective unless you've first gone through the motions of uh, putting the process in place and, and actually implementing it. So in the call example, Unless you're meeting every week with your reps to pull up their top two or three calls and going through, let's just say, a spreadsheet scorecard of how good that call was and where they can improve. Unless you're already doing that, then in my opinion, you don't really have any business going out and adopting that next level of analytics and making that next level of investment. I like to compare it to when I was a kid, I really wanted to play the drums and I begged my parents and begged my parents that, you know, I want to bang on the drums and I'll be super into it and I'll practice. And they went out and bought me a five-piece drum set. And I think I played on it four times and never really never really used it and ended up selling it on Craigslist. But instead, right, what I should have done is gotten a practice pad, learned my paradiddles, and showed that I could dedicate to the actual process of, of getting good. And that, that approach, it, it, it totally applies. I know it's a mundane example, 100%. but it totally applies. I mean, there's a dude there's a dude down on Powell and Market Street in San Francisco that has a whole bunch of buckets, and he just, <laughs> he rocks, you know? That's, exactly. the, that's the sales development equivalent of having a piece of paper and a pen and, you know, <laughs> checking off boxes and just rocking right. it. So, so right. crawl, walk run with these tools. And and I, I love what you said, put the process in place, work the process, you know, and then if there's a strategic gap there, go over to the market map at 10 bound and start to do demos <laughs> with appropriate suppliers. Don't do it the other way around, right? Oh, by the way, yeah. David, that's a win-win, not only for you as the customer, but in my opinion, it is for vendors as well, because the number one thing that when I was running a sales development team and I was on the customer side of the table buying technology, something I was always sure to do was establish a baseline of what what metrics do I care about that this product will potentially improve? More importantly, what's my baseline of those metrics today in my business? Am I clear on that? Have I measured that? So then when I actually go out and I spend money, I can measure improvement against that baseline instead of just saying, oh, well, now I have what feels like a good number of qualified appointments coming through, or I'm getting quicker to leads, but by how much? And then for a vendor, that actually, that's a pretty firm case study and customer testimonial for you 
once that person has really properly made the case for buying your software. So I think there's an interesting win-win there as well. Big time. And that's a really good point. And so that it's that makes it easier for the vendor to have a great relationship because they all of a sudden don't just drop the subscription because it doesn't work. And if there's anybody, by the way, from the major sales engagement platforms listening, I know you're out there. Travis made a really good point. We need help tracking length of conversations and email sentiment, I think, on both of those. So that is an opportunity, I think, for the big ones out there that have a dialer embedded and they have email embedded. We need to know what is going on with these conversations. And it can just be a smiley face, a meh, or a frown. <laughs> like That's all we need to know. <laughs> and if me as a sales development manager, if I could run a report every day that you know three people on the team had you know six smiley faces based on you know AI data that isn't them just checking a box that said they had a good conversation, that is super yeah. valuable, right? Yeah, it's huge. And I, I think you it. just put the uh, the developer requirements together right there. I think smiley, man, dad. <laughs> <laughs> right. I need five smileys a day, people. You can just tell them. <laughs> okay. I got one other thing I want to ask you. Outsourcing. Okay. This is a big topic. Like I said, on the market map, we have a whole quadrant. There's hundreds of companies out there that are available to help you as a sales development professional to just outsource. You can outsource the entire appointment setting. You can outsource a key piece of research that you need. You can outsource you know, all these different parts of your process. When is the right time to call one of those companies? And when should you just really focus on doing it in-house? Yeah, I actually, it's a great question. I actually like to look at outsource SDR firms or call them SDRs for hire in the early stages of thinking about a sales development program. And I say that because until you've actually established the process, you've tested the messaging and seen what works, and really you've built a playbook that you can plug new hires into, it's difficult to hire somebody, train them to sell, ramp them up, and essentially build the plane while you're flying it. And what I've seen to be effective, and it doesn't apply to everybody, but what's certainly effective is, you know, let's put together the messaging that we think is going to resonate. Let's follow some basic templates of sales development outreach. And let's lean on a firm to help us with some of the basic best practices. And oftentimes these firms will bring their own technology, by the way, as well, so that you can start to effectively test the ability and the fit and the form of your sales development program before you're buying into you know fairly expensive resources and full-time employees. So that's a uh, it's a great area I've seen for, for testing. And interestingly enough, I've also found it to be helpful on the other side of the spectrum. So once you have a really established SDR program, and maybe you're going into a new market, or you have a less strategic piece of your account list that you can't get to, that's a really interesting place to augment your existing team with an outsource firm. Another point to make there is that not only are there guns for hire, let's say, but there are try before you buy SDR firms as well, which they'll offload the training, they'll do the recruiting, 
essentially pre-bake the skill set of those sales development reps, and you can get them plugged into your business and test them out in a real-world scenario, and then you can actually choose to hire that person on board. So I've seen a ton of success with companies adopting that model as well. One other piece you brought up, which a specialization strategy is actually outsourcing the strictly the the lead research cleansing identification piece of the process to a specialized team. And I know, you know, Tito Bort and others have popularized that as well. And that can be extremely effective, especially if you're there isn't good data around your market. So a great example is, you know, one of my clients is in the the software for short-term rental space. So it's tougher to go into a Discover Org or Elite IQ and find these people in your traditional B2B databases. If you have a, a niche market like that where there's not generally available data, outsourcing that lead gen piece could be really, really effective for you, whether that's through you know Upwork or a general platform like that or a specialized vendor that can be extremely effective as well. That's a really good point. I think that's the silent sales floor. I mean, the silent sales floor has a lot of different, you know, symptoms, but one of them is just if if your sales team there that's very expensive and, you know, they're supposed to be having conversations with customers and hopefully closing deals, if they're spending all their time just trying to find names and phone numbers, then you know, right. you sit down and do the math and you go, wait a minute, I, I you know, for the same cost that I'm, I, I could have a whole army of people somewhere pulling these names and phone numbers instead. Totally. It's a high, high value asset doing low value tasks. And that's yeah. something that gener- generally you want to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Well, Travis, I feel like we could talk for another... <laughs> Another hour here because you are a, a wellspring of information on the sales development process and, and the tech stack and account based and, and revenue ops. So, if people want to get in touch with you, we've got the salesource.com website. Where's a good place to connect with you? Yeah, so salesource.com is our shiny new website. So, if you want to check us out, you can go there, or I'm also on. LinkedIn as well. So happy to connect. And one other point to put out there is we are looking for folks who have experience managing SDR teams or running revenue operations. So we're definitely growing and hiring. Excellent. Great opportunity. I might have a couple of people. I usually get requests for if you know of anybody who's looking. And actually, right now, I've got a few people that may be potentially a fit. So I'll send them over. Travis, thank you so much for coming on the Sales Development Podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, David. Appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.